before we're reading from Ephesians um, chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. And that's page 1175 in the Church Bibles. <coughs> As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chrissy, for reading that. Do keep that passage open. Uh, what I want us to do, um, as we did last week, just uh, as we sort of consider our <coughs> vision, if you like, as a church, our strap line, and today we're thinking particularly about growing in Jesus Christ. We're a loving community, and we're seeking to be that by growing in Jesus Christ. Uh, I want us to uh, discuss one of these three scenarios. So you may want to pick one of these and then turn to your neighbour and, and talk about each of these scenarios. Um, if you'd rather not do that, that's fine. Just uh, think about one that you would like to think about. Here's the first scenario. I, th I think if our culture is saying one thing to us, it is this. Be true to yourself. Delve down deep into your psyche. Find out who you are and don't let anyone tell you you can't be that because that's the true you. So the idea of converting people, of persuading people to become Christians, well, it's just offensive. It's telling people to be like us. Not to be true to themselves, but to be like somebody else. To call on people to stop living for themselves and to repent and to leave, live for Jesus Christ is oppressive, isn't it? What would you say to that? That's the first scenario. What would you say to that? Uh, second scenario, about 15 years ago, uh, we led uh, a new church park called Church of the White House School, now called Christ Church Woking. It was a joy to see some of them there yesterday. You may have um, met some of them. Uh, and in the early days, someone who had joined us came to see me. She had a beautiful voice. And in the course of our conversation, she said, unless I'm singing next week, I'll be leaving the church. 
Was there anything wrong with that? If so, what was wrong with that? What would you have said to her? So that's the second scenario. Third scenario. Uh, another church situation, someone was very clear with me that unless there are, is unanimity amongst the leadership of the church, unless the leaders were perfectly united and a decision was unanimous, it should not happen. Unity was paramount. And therefore there must be unanimity of decision-making. Is there anything wrong with that? If so, what? what would you have said to that person? So, three scenarios. I'll give you about three minutes. Pick one. <laughs> and to start talking about which one of those you would most like to talk about. Uh, and this is really to try and help us talk about what we're thinking about the sermon. So, we'll return to that. I hope you have coffee. There you go, three minutes. That's me. Mm. I, I struggled with it. Mm. <coughs> I didn't, I didn't want to be like anybody else. Yeah. I didn't like the idea of someone to say, this is how you have to be. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want to be bitter in Baba. I used to quote this, where you, I feel the judging people, the judging of this mm. the judge, but don't remove the um, spec from your brother's eye because mm. of the love Yeah. So this has always been my sort of thing. Um, so conforming, you know, it's taking quite a long time. Mm. It's taking a long time. Yeah. I always find that good. Second point as well, I'm just like, yeah. I've, got to, I've seen it so many times where I've got to, I've got to sing or, you know, my money yeah. to use this, or, and they're making it about them rather than, than the reason we're here, which is the praise of God. And it's more about, I've got to it. look mm. at me, isn't it? Mm. It's a look at me thing, isn't it? Not, yeah. I just want to be part of the church family. And, yeah. You can't be dictating. You know, the decision maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's similar to that as well. Mm-hmm. The third thing is about unanimity among leaders. Unless they're that. That's, that's unlikely. It's always going to be unlikely. You know, and, you know think about Jesus and, and his disciples. There wasn't always, there was always confusion, there was always uncertainty. You know, but it's trusting the Lord. It's quite interesting, you said the G20, the new G20 introducing and welcoming Africa. You know, and they said it was a unanimous vote. But I think mm. it's going to become peer pressure there. Mm. You know, because I think the Indian president and prime minister said, expect an unanimous vote. <laughs> of course, everybody voted unanimously welcome yeah. Africa. I think yeah. Yeah. that was going to be a pressure. Nothing you will get it. Unanimously. Yeah. I think it's uh, realistic to expect it to have division. Mm-hmm. But you also have people who are scared of opening their mm-hmm. But it comes, it comes very clear in the future when there's a breakdown of that union. Yeah. Because you know, somebody's seen as uh, like a bully, forced mm-hmm. to um, People have always felt that it's not evil because they don't feel empowered enough. Or, Resourceful mm. enough to be able to make a contribution, mm. so they've been dragging along. So eventually, it gets to a point where they say, No more, I'm out. Yeah, you know, and this is where things are the problem. Yeah. And we, see, we see that in the main political parties, the Tories, you know, the last two leaders have already exposed division, mm. huge divisions. Okay, Shame, we'll isn't it? all those conversations, those, do carry them on um, after uh, the, 
the time, more formal time that we're going to have together, uh, did be thinking how to apply what we will learn from Ephesians 4 particularly um, to those scenarios, those questions. But let's just pray, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Let's pray that he would be our teacher. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you've descended. You became a human being, that you went to the cross, that you died for sinners like us, that you rose again from the dead and you've ascended back to that right hand of your heavenly father you filled the whole universe Lord Jesus so thank you that it's easy for you to teach us this morning you know our hearts you know every atom in the universe you sustain all things so please Lord would you be our teacher for your glory's sake Amen, Amen. well at Cornerstone we're keen to grow in Jesus Christ and, and by that we mean two things firstly growing numerically we want other people to become Christians and secondly, growing in the unity of maturity. We need to grow numerically and to grow up as Christians. And uh, we'll be looking at, at both those things. Uh, but the first thing I want us to look at, just because I think this, uh, in a sense, illumines the whole subject, is verse 9 of the passage that we had read. So if you want to turn back to that, so Ephesians chapter 4, page 1175. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe, the whole universe. Uh, Paul is referring to the incarnation, Jesus becoming uh, a human being, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, taking into himself a human nature, dying on a cross, he descended, and then he took the punishment that we deserve, people like you and me, he stood in our place to pay the price for our sins so that if we trust in him, we are rescued. Once he'd finished that eternal work, he beat sin and death and hell and hopelessness and ascended to the highest place in the universe. And because he did that, he fills the whole universe. It's because he fills the whole universe, verse 8, that he gives gifts to people. Gifts to you and me, if we're Christians here this morning, gifts, whoever we are, of creation. He's made us the way we are. And the reason why he gives gifts to people is because he fills the whole universe. He descended and ascended. And in his victory, as he journeyed back to heaven, it's a sort of ancient image of a victorious king with all the defeated enemies as some kind of procession after him, all the treasures, all the wild animals, all the, the honour, gifts are then showered in victory as he goes on his victory march. And this picture of Jesus fits with the whole theme of the book of Ephesians. If you just flip back with me to chapter 1, verse 22. We could go many places, but verse 22 of chapter 1, God placed all things under his feet, that's Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head, that's ruler over everything, for the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is very, very big. Jesus fills the universe because of his death, resurrection, ascension. And that's why he makes us the way we are. See, to become a Christian is not a question of taste. It's not some people like Marmite, some people like Christianity. It's just a personal choice. It's not like persuading people to have an opinion. It is to wake up to the reality that fills the universe. It's not one option within a smorgasbord of options. It is the option that is real, that is true. It's the reason why God created the universe. It's why all history takes place the way it does. In other words, not to be a Christian is to be blind, to be dead, to be deluded, to be an enemy of God. It's not just a personal choice. To believe in Jesus Christ is to come into the light, to be given a new life, to realise by God's grace and mercy what is real, to be in tune with what the universe is singing, to understand the mathematics behind the universe. I just wanted us to start there because it is astounding, isn't it? Isn't this a much bigger vision of who Jesus is than often we have in our daily lives, that in Jesus we live and move and have our being. There's nowhere we, we can go where Jesus is not because he's God, transcendent. Yes, he's dwelling in heavenly glory, but he also fills the universe. Our Western philosophy tends towards transcendence. Eastern philosophy tends towards imminence. The Christian truth is both. God dwells in heavenly glory, inapproachable light. Jesus reigns at the right hand of the Father. And he fills all things. He is imminent. So, I just wanted us to start there, because it is the basis, uh, as we'll see in our second point, for our gifting as Christians. But I want us to start with the fact that we're committed as a church to growing in number. So, keep a finger in Ephesians 4. We're going to flip back to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, if somebody wants to shout out a page number, just so I know somebody's awake. Um, Matthew 28, verse 18. Oh, we're not, we're not awake yet. Okay. So, we'll sort of shout out. <laughs> Matthew 28, verse 18. 1001. Thank you. Uh, and this is our first point. We're to grow in number by going out to speak of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be as a church. We're to grow in number by going out to speak of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If we understand the, understand the universe rightly, we know that the one person who is in authority is Jesus Christ. He has all authority heaven and on earth. If he were to decide to change anything, any physical constant, E equals MC squared, it would change because all authority has been given to him because of his death and resurrection. And therefore, what did he say? Verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. The church is to go, it's to go out to make disciples. As we were looking at uh, last week and the week before, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people, men, women, girls, boys, old men, old women. Everyone is made into a temple of the Holy Spirit to speak for God. The Spirit came down and they went out. And it keeps happening in the book of Acts. Which is why we're committed as a church to be disciple-making disciples. It's a kind of phrase that we use. We're not just a Christian for ourselves, we're a Christian for other people. Each of us is to be involved in helping others follow Jesus. Some of us may be better at talking to others who aren't yet Christians, helping them to follow Christ for the first time. Others may be better suited to helping Christians keep following Jesus and growing in our maturity. But all of us are to be involved in both. That's why the Holy Spirit has been given, to speak of Jesus and to live like Jesus. Maybe at the school gate, maybe in our families, maybe in the workplace, maybe in the public square, maybe at school, at uni. There's no such thing as a private Christian because Jesus says, well, because I've ascended and I'm in authority, therefore the church, go, go and make disciples. Not come and learn about Jesus from us, although we want to invite people to church, don't we? We want to, people to come and hear uh, the preaching of the good news, but the first movement is out. Jesus is king, so we go. The Holy Spirit's come, so we go. So it might be preaching or door knocking, but we're all involved. It might be inviting or writing something on social media, but we're all involved. And we're all involved, Jesus says, in going and therefore also obeying, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And sure, I'm with you always, church, to the very end of the age. So it it includes what we were looking at last week. There's no tension between evangelism and growing up in our Christian lives, between loving the lost and loving one another. They're two sides of exactly the same coin. But I just wanted to have a, a little look briefly at Acts 19. So um, keep your fingers still in, in Ephesians 4. Let's, let's go to Acts 19. Um, this was the background of what happened in the... Uh, the city of Ephesus, I don't know if anybody's been, it's quite a stunning place to go and see, um, for example, uh, the, the temples, uh, all the remains of the temples, the goddess Artemis, and to go into the amphitheatre where Paul was seized and there was a riot. But let's look at Acts 9, 19 verse 8 and just see what Paul did. It was the model of how the gospel spread to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. 19 verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. That's, that's how long it, he lasted before he was thrown out. But some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, that's Turkey, heard the word of the Lord. Paul's strategy was to go out. He didn't stay in the synagogue enduring opposition for years. He was there for three months. And when it became apparent that he could no longer speak freely because they were just going to oppose what he said, he went to the secular place of debate, the letter Hall of Tyrannus. And that's where he spoke daily 
and thousands of people came to faith. We were told later on in, in Acts 19, people brought their magic scrolls and burned them, and they were millions of pounds worth. God did miraculous things through Paul, so much so that the idol trade started to dry up. And can you imagine that? And that's what led to the riot. We're to go out and speak of Jesus. It's been a wet summer, hasn't it? Um, I don't know if you've been uh, keeping an eye on the weeds, probably not. Um, the weeds in our garden just seem to have just grown and grown. Uh, little um, veggie plot, well, there's not much veg left, it's just weeds now. Uh, turn your back and the, the, the weeds just seem to keep growing. And, and they grow way faster than the trees, don't they? It can take a few years for a tree to be big enough to produce seeds or fruit, but a weed within a few weeks it's flowered and it's seeded, <coughs> spawning more weeds. But I think we're to be more like weeds than trees. We want our time and energy to be devoted <coughs> to others hearing about Jesus, coming to know Jesus, and then themselves spreading the good news about Jesus. That's what you see all the way through the book of Acts. Paul was not that bothered about the synagogues. He, he wanted to preach the gospel in the synagogues, but as, as soon as there was an opportunity that dried up there, he would go <coughs> elsewhere. We want our time and energy as a church to be devoted to others hearing about Jesus Christ. When one door closes, another will open. We want to be investing in others hearing not this, uh, uh, about the Lord Jesus, not the solidity of buildings. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a building. But as we grow, uh, God willing, uh, the temptation will be to think, oh, let, let's get a building, let's invest lots of finance and time and energy in a building. It's not a bad thing. But surely we would want to invest our, our money and our ministry in other people hearing about Jesus. That's what we see in the New Testament. There's no, I've said this before, there's no church buildings until the third century. There's this passion for other people to hear of Jesus. So we invest in others being told about Jesus, uh, whether it's paying for ministers or youth workers or associates or apprentices, that's our focus. Way, way, way before we get to thinking about buildings. I'm not saying that building is a bad idea, but in terms of starting in the home, staying nimble, investing all our financial resources <coughs> in speaking about Jesus, that's who we want to be as a church. So we want to grow numerically. And then secondly, we want to grow in the unity of maturity in Jesus Christ. So back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're to grow numerically. That's what the church has always done. And we're now to grow in the unity of maturity in Jesus Christ. How, how do we grow up in our faith? How do we become more mature well, the first thing is recognising the unity that we have in God. So look with me at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So we've become a Christian. We've been called. We've been chosen. Chapter 1. We're part of this cosmic plan to bring all things under the authority of Jesus Christ. So if we're to live worthy of the calling we've received, how are we to live? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep 
the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, we're already more united than we can possibly imagine. And we're to keep that unity. We're to make every effort to keep that unity. How deeply are we united? Well, we're united in the one God, the Spirit. We're united in the one Lord, verse 5. We're united in the one faith and the one baptism. We're united in one God and Father of all, who is over all Christians. He's our authority. He is through all Christians, the Father, and he is in all Christians, the the Almighty Creator, God the Father, is in you and in me. For Christians here this morning, we are united in Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Can you get more one than God? No. We are in the Spirit, in the Father, in the Lord Jesus. And so that gives all the resources that we need to remain, to make every effort to, to keep this unity. Because we're part of the body of Jesus Christ, a body which fills the universe. You can get your head around that, tell me, because I can't really get my head around it. You see, bodies are not like teams. With a team, members of the team get dropped, don't they? Performance is not so good, well, we'll give you a break. You'll be on the bench for a bit. But you can't do that with bodies. You don't sort of say to your hand or, or to your knee, in my case, but I'm not doing a good enough job, I'll just lop you off, drop you for a bit. We are part of the body of Christ if we've trusted in him. It's impossible to divide his body. His body, not in his human nature, but in the one person who is Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, fills the universe because he's one person. And we're to grow in that unity. That's the unity we're to grow in. How? Well, by using our gifts for that unity, the the unity of Christ's body. So Paul says in verse 7, But to each one of us grace has been given as this Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and then he goes in to explain the fact that Jesus Christ fills the universe. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you have been graciously given gifts by the risen, ascended, reigning, filling Lord Jesus to serve his body. But why? Why have we been given the gifts that we have been? By creation or redemption? Well, he explains in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach, until we all reach unity. So every single gift that we have been given is for the unity of the body of Christ, which is more united than it can possibly be because the unity is in God, and yet he wants us to grow up. To what? until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Have you attained yet to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? We haven't, have we? We've still got maturing to do. We've still got growing to do, each and every individual here and as a church. But all the gifts that are given by Jesus Christ, who fills the universe, 
is for the unity of his body. And it's the mature view of the Christian which says unity is so vitally important because this is what we're, we're growing up into the unity who is Jesus Christ. That's maturity. So all gifts are given by Jesus Christ for the benefit of the unity <coughs> of his body. Now, I don't know if you've been following the build-up to the Rugby World Cup. Anybody been following the, the, the Rugby World Cup and its build-up? Anybody see the, the France-New Zealand game? I caught up a little bit uh, last night in the England-Argentina game. Uh, much better than expected, um, which was pleasing, wasn't it? Uh, but, but England, if you've been following them, are full of talented individuals. But by their own admission, they have not been playing that well as a team <coughs> until they played Argentina yesterday. In other words, there's no point of being a scrum half and just saying, I can really throw the ball well, I can get it to go in a straight line. It doesn't really matter whether it reaches to the fly half or not, but I can do this really well. There's no point in the fly half saying, I, I can kick on, onto a sixpence if there's nobody chasing. There's no point being gifted individually if it doesn't work together in unity as a team. There's no point in being gifted individually as a Christian in this team, which is far more united than a team where you can get dropped. A team where you can never be dropped because you will be saved forever from the moment you believe. We cannot consider our gifts in isolation because they're not given for isolation, they're given for the unity of the body. Which is why when that lady told me that unless she was singing in the church the following Sunday, she would leave, it was actually a very easy decision, wasn't it? <laughs> her gift was not for her. Her gift was for the church. And if she would not use it for the benefit of the unity of the church, probably best that she wasn't in that church because she would have created, and she did, create all kinds of division around her gift because she hadn't yet understood her gift was for the church, for the unity of the church. Of course, she would find joy in serving for that purpose. But it's to import the world's view of our gifts into the church. If, if we think our gifts are just for us, for the unity of the body of Christ and that's what the whole universe is about we're out of kilter with the universe if we are yet to understand that but wonderfully the Lord Jesus encourages and helps us to use our gifts positively for this unity by an activity that it seems very very normal what is that activity? Just talking about it. it. Just talking about our gifts. This is what Paul says. You see, if gifts, the word gifts, the apostle, the evangelist, uh, enable the people of God to build one another up so that they reach unity in the faith, well then, verse 14, what? We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead, what do we do? Well, we listen to the word gifts, that their function is to help the unity of the body. And then how do we work well together in this body? 
Instead, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, builds itself up as each part does its work. How do we become more united and how do our gifts get used in the way that they're intended to be used by the cosmic lord of the universe? It's just by talking. It seems very normal there, doesn't it? You know, talking about, I don't know, frustrations we have in church life. I'm finding this difficult, John, or, or we, we talk with somebody else, and I'd lo love to use this gift. How, how can I use this gift? Or we, we talk about it in, in a loving and gentle and kind way with one another. We truth in love, literally. We don't just love and never talk about frustrations that we have in church life, and we don't just sort of lose our, our rag and start complaining. No, we truth in love with one another. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. Rather, instead, by speaking the truth in love, we will all grow up in every way to him who is the head and to Christ. Um, we watched a film um, a while back. It was called The Swimmers. It's about um, uh, some Syrian uh, refugees who... Uh, set off from the Greek coast to Turkey, and uh, it, it's an eye-opener. If, if you want to have your eyes opened about migrant crossings and the dangers, and we, we, we see it in the news all the time, don't we? Uh, the boats making it across the channel, or often not. And I'm not making a political point here, except, except that it's often Christians who are fleeing persecution, and I think if you watch a film like that, you see the desperation and the terror and the horror of being in the middle of the sea with a boat that's full of people and the engine's broken and death beckons, the precariousness of it. And that's the image, the, the opposite to speaking the truth in love, to hearing the word gifts being exercised. That's the image that Paul uses, being tossed around on the waves and blown here and there. Instead, to grow up into Christ together we hear the Bible preached and taught by those gifted in that, and then it's all our responsibility to speak the truth in love, to help one another in this unity. So to use our gifts for unity, we need to truth in love. How are we trying to put this into practice as a church? Well, we want people to, to get to know us as a church before they start to serve and use their gifts. Uh, it's so easy to rush people into the wrong places, both from the perspective of the church. Oh, we've got this gap in the rotor. Could you not fill it when, when actually, no, they're, they're not gifted in that area. We need to get to know people so that we can make sure that square pegs don't end up in, in round holes. And we need to have the culture of the church such that we can talk about how we're finding serving. But we, we, uh, when we do the membership course, we talk about the fact we have a review every year because we don't want people to be doing something. It might be the music or the kids' work, and you know they signed up 25 years ago and they're still doing it, and nobody's ever asked them whether they want to carry on doing it. <laughs> and they just oh, trudging in. This is my 26th year. <laughs> that's not truthing in love. That's using people, isn't it? You'd never have that in the workplace. You have a yearly appraisal, mostly. 
The church can be worse than the workplace. Now, we, we want to have conversations, official conversations. You know, how, how are you going? How are you going with the Lord? Are you still, is he still strengthening you to serve in this way? Because you might have been gifted 10 years ago, but now all the joy's gone. It's probably not your gift anymore. Because part of the way the Lord gifts us is the joy of serving him and being part of a united church family. And in our leadership culture, this is where I'll close, we, we want to avoid something that we talk about, which is the tyranny of unity. The tyranny of... You, you see it in dictatorships, you know, China, Soviet Union, uh, not Soviet Union, Russia, Soviet Union, somewhat, somewhat uh, in the past, uh, shows my age. It, it's very easy to use unity as a tool of coercion. We don't want any disagreement around here. If you disagree, well, then just be quiet, please. That's how a totalitarian regime works, and sadly you find them in churches sometimes. So we want to say that we want to make decisions as far as is possible together, but we also th think it's really important to hear a minority view, because often the minority view are seeing something that we cannot see because of our traditions or history. It's vital in healthy leadership that disagreement is allowed, that alternative viewpoints are heard. And it's why, and ask anybody on the church council, it's why in our leadership culture we vote. Because yes, we do want to move forward with the majority view, but we're not aiming for unanimity. Because then people who disagree feel pressure not to disagree. So we're... we're Right, I think, to encourage abstentions to people for people to feel free to vote against some things. We'd be foolish to go ahead if it was 50-50 and I had the casting vote. I don't plan ever to use a casting vote because that would show that we are not yet uh, of consensus. But the tyranny of unity can be just the kind of place for an overbearing leader to insist on their way or a situation in where a resistant follower can, can use the power of veto and stop anything happening because, well, we've got to have unanimity. So unity is arrived at by talking, by speaking the truth in love, by disagreeing, by thrashing things through with gentleness and humility, not by coercion. So we want to be a loving community growing in Jesus Christ, and this means that we seek to grow numerically as each of us seek to help others become disciples and we go out to speak of Jesus for others and love like Jesus in our community. And we want to have the unity of maturity, keeping the unity we have, which is far deeper than anything we will encounter anywhere else in the world, because it's a unity in Jesus Christ, whose body fills the universe. Let's praise him. Let's praise him together. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that the way that you have gifted us, the way that you enable us to use our gifts in this community is far bigger and far more significant than often we think. Please forgive us, Lord. And please help us to use our gifts, those things that you've given us as creator, as king of this universe, to serve your purpose the unity of your body, its growth in number and maturity.
show me. Thanks, John. Okay. Um, we're going to 